Hi, I'm Jen. And I'm Jane. Welcome to Marginalia Pod. Where we treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connections through our favourite books. I would like to begin by acknowledging the Gurangai and Dauruk people, traditional custodians of the land where I am recording today, and pay my respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. I'd also like to acknowledge Manafenua up to Albakairangi Kitai, where I'm recording today. Hello, beautiful Jen. Hello. Hi. How has your week been? It's been very busy, but you know, the weather's been great the last couple of days, so <gasps> that always helps the mood. How has yours been? Uh, also very busy and good, and we've also had some really nice weather. Like, I haven't been as uh, bitterly resentful about the sunshine as I usually am, <laughs> so that's been helping. It hasn't been too hot. It's been like 26, 27 degrees. Nice. Yeah. Well, yeah. Great. So it's good. Uh, what sparked joy for you this week? Got a tattoo yesterday. Ah! Another one. Another one. <laughs> you got plenty of blank skin left. It's fine. Yeah, it was weird because it's a sternum tattoo and they are notoriously painful. So I've sort of been dreading it for months knowing that this is what I wanted to do. And then last week when I had to email my tattoo artist the design, like the request for what I wanted, because he only draws a week in advance. I was like, oh God, maybe I just do something else. Maybe I just get something else done. Maybe I just put it somewhere else. Maybe I could get it. Like, where else could I put it? But then I was like, no, just commit, just get it done. So we did. Now I have an Irish elk skull on my sternum slash stomach. (laughs) It is so beautiful. It is so beautiful. I love it. It's definitely bigger than I thought it was, but this, like I thought it was going to be, but this is always the case when I go to him because he shows me the design and it's always so beautiful. And then I'm like, ah, if I make it smaller, you lose so much of the detail. Mm -hmm. And then I'm just like, ah, never mind. Just, just go for it. Just knock yourself out. It's nice to have someone's art on you permanently too. And like, it's someone that you really vibe with and trust, which is, it's kind of like a partnership in a way that is unusual for every other kind of art. Yeah. Yeah, because they have to work with you. They have to work with your skin. All sorts of considerations. But anyway, so yeah, it was another... What time did we start? 11, and I left there just after 5. So it's a long day. My friend Sophie came to sit with me, which was nice. Brought me some (gasps) orange juice. Mm. Oh, that's lovely. Do you need a lot of sugar when you have... Is it like when you donate blood? Do you need like sugar and cookies and electrolytes? Yeah, well, it's just... It's just the shock of it, right? Because your body is Mm. like, what is happening to me? I'm not going to gloss over it. It hurts a lot oh, man. so there were moments where I could just feel my because I had my arm up on both sides like I was depending which side he was working on and then I could just like feel my entire arm cringing into me because of the oh, pain yeah. and you, you can't move you can't do anything so you just sit there and Sophie was like man you were so stoic you just sat like a rock and I'm like well what else can I do I don't feel like complaining is gonna do anything so just gotta get through it and then we did and it's beautiful I'm so thankful that it's not colour because if he had to do white highlighter, that is the worst bit of any tattoo. Anyone who has one will know when they go back. Yeah, because that's the last thing they do. So if you've got a really, like, you know, my my swords, my Mr. Impossible swords, because it's so high saturation, he has to go over the colour multiple times to get that colour right. Right. And then the highlight, which is the white, is the last thing they do. So your skin is already so raw. And then he goes in with the white and it's just like the worst bit because it's like the last hour of your session. Your skin is done. You are done. Everything is terrible. So anyway, yeah, (laughs) it was a whole thing. It was a whole thing. Well, what sparked joy for you this week? Uh, Yesterday, my husband and I got to go out for a art gala night and it was for a specific charity for um, KEYUP, which is like a, a women's empowerment. Like they go and they go to rural and underprivileged schools and they teach young girls self-defense and also like you do a breakboard challenge and it's really cool i had never really heard of it before we got to sit at this table um but it was kind of fun to like rub elbows with the upper class so to speak so (laughs) i wore rockabilly and i was literally the only one in a petticoat everyone else was in like sequins and bangly stuff and i'm like oh dear (laughs) it's a dress to impress and i love my hell buddy so that's what i wore um but yeah, it was a really fun night. It was quite loud. It was the first time I'd ever been to like an art auction. Mm. So that was really interesting. I don't know. It was just really fun. It was nice to like sit at a table with other adults and chat. And there was somebody, 
somebody that I had met there that I really liked and we got to catch up again and we actually exchanged numbers, which is great. So I have made a friend officially. Which oh, is, nice. Yeah, perfect. Because that's the, the theme of our week. So yeah, it was a really nice night out. And we were out late. Like we, I didn't get home till two. So I just want everybody to know that I, I can still quote party. <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was great. Oh, that's so fun. Nice. Nice to get dressed up sometimes, you know, and just have a good time. Okay, well, that was a lovely uh, segue you gave us there because this week we're reading chapters 14 to 20 through the theme of friendship. So do you have a story for us? Yeah, I I wanted to go really light this week because we're going to talk about some, you know, pretty hairy stuff, especially with Blue and Adam. So I wanted to talk about a couple of friends that I had in sixth grade who were like real MVPs when the time came. So all throughout sixth grade, I liked this boy named Sean and... I still think that he was a very cute boy. Like, as a, as a grown woman, I still remember being 11 and just being like, he is beautiful. <laughs> and he was nice to me. Like, we were actually good friends the whole year. Like, we sat next to each other in a couple of classes and hung out. And, like, I was kind of, like, one of the boys, but I wasn't. And so when, I like, I had been nursing this crush all year. And then my frenemy, she said she liked him as well. And she was really <laughs> mad at me for liking him and this became like a three-year-long saga but I won't go into that and so I was like oh no she's gonna act I have to act or I'll lose out on my chance and I had these two friends Tina and Jenny and they were best friends but they came up and they were like we know that you like Sean do you want us to go and ask him out for you and anybody who was ever a girl in the 90s who liked boys probably had this experience where they had friends who would like go and canvas the situation like they would do some recon for you check it out like see like feel it out for you so you didn't have to do the excruciating thing which is be vulnerable or like put yourself out there because your friends could do it for you and then you could always be like oh they were totally joking I did not no I would never no of course there were friends like obviously like heartbreaking right you Mm -hmm. had some you had a disclaimer built in Mm -hmm. but on this particular day Jenny and Tina went sussed out the situation and reported back that Sean did like me and he did want to go out with me. No. I would like to remind everybody that I was 11 and I went nowhere and also our relationship lasted exactly one week because he wrote me a letter and said, I love you and I went, I'm 11, you can't fall in love with me, what the heck? And broke up with him. Oh, panic. (laughs) I know, absolute panic. Um, But we still, like, we stayed friendly and, like, we weren't, like, best friends in high school but we were still, like, on hey terms which was pretty good. And um, it turns out that he met the love of his life in high school and they are married and they have three boys now. So that's great. I'm just, I love that. But yeah, so I I just think that we, sometimes you think back and you're like, oh, my, my very best friend from this time. But then like you get other moments where it's like, oh, actually Tina and Jenny, this own little, their, this own little duo who'd been best friends their whole lives. They were like really coming in clutch for me right then. That's sort of an underappreciated part of friendship, right? Having those friends who just kind of like step up and do the thing that you really need help with. Mm. And it just made me happy to remember that like at one point in my life, as awkward and alone and as scared and as uncertain as I felt, I had these two girls who were like, heck yeah, we're in on this drama. Let's do it. Yeah. Great. So yeah, (laughs) friendship. It's great. It comes in all forms. It can be very silly and it can be very satisfying. That's true. Yeah certain friends for certain privileges or certain situations right like it's not a one size fits all sometimes it's great to have different variations yeah and it's nice to know that you know at at this point in time I really did feel quite isolated and alone and sixth grade is hard in the U.S. because it's like when you go to middle school which is the first time you have a schedule where you go from class to class rather than staying in one classroom with one group of people so that was already hard. And it was the end of the year and I'd spent this whole year crushing on this guy. And just to have them like, of course you can do it. We'll go help you. That was just mm. like, oh, the clouds parting, the angels singing. I think there was a school dance involved. I may be misremembering that. Anyway, it was great. Cute. It just makes me very happy to think that they were there for me in my moment of a panic, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad they were there for you, too. <laughs> it's cute. My first boyfriend. Yeah. One week. Good job. I know. It felt momentous. <laughs> I'm sure it did. Okay. I'll do our chapter summaries and then we can yeah. get stuck in. So yes. this week, Blue goes to work. Adam meets her there and they have a conversation that turns into an argument about Blue and Gansey secretly falling in love. Adam decides to pester Ronan into being his driver while he scries for the devil attacking Caveswater. They end up at Adam's father's house, the wrong devil. 
Blue and Gansey go to Henry Ching's toga party. At first, it looks like a disaster, but somehow, impossibly, Blue and Henry nearly immediately befriend each other. Mora and Mr. Grey go on a little driving of their own and find Noah reliving his death in the bathroom at Piper Greenmantle's old house. They decide to take him to 300 Fox Way. Um, okay. So much. Yeah. So much going on. Absolutely so much. And a lot of, because we get the first chapter as, like, Blue's perspective with her fight with Adam, she's trying to figure out how to best, like, approach this breach that he's causing like they've just mended this like they've just become friendly again and then he comes out and it feels like to her he's coming out swinging but she's still trying so hard not to hurt him which is really hard like she's sitting there at the end of that chapter thinking i am not i'm bubbling up with poisonous things and she's not going to say them you know yeah and she's in a weird frame of mind already because like morris is that thing to her about like private school boys using random pieces of fabric as apparel mm-hmm. That seems like exactly what you stand for these days, right? And she has that great line on page 111. Um, she could feel herself hurtling towards self-awareness and she wasn't sure she liked it. So she's already <laughs> in a bit of a weird frame of mind. And then, you know, Adam mm-hmm. turns up and he doesn't look the way he normally does. Like he's, you know, messy. And she's like, normally his uniform would be impeccable. And yeah. he's a bit grumpy and he just wants to have this conversation. And neither of them have solutions to save Gansey. So it just turns into this thing. Yeah, he decides to take take an in. Yeah, And then he accuses her of being irresponsible, which I thought was really interesting. So I feel like he might not actually be jealous, but that is where he shows his hand. Yeah, I think, I don't think there is jealousy necessarily, not of Blue, not of the romance, right? But they're also Mm. jealous of the way that they're friends. And it really reminds me, you know, the first time that you hear your best friend say that someone else is their best friend and you're like, Mm -hmm. ah, what? And that's a (laughs) learning curve we all experience, right? They're on the tier. It's okay. I just assume now everybody has a tier. Yeah, because he sort of approaches it. Like, he talks about Gansey and Ronan's friendship, and he sort of, like, Mm -hmm. tries to be really reasonable about it. And I think, in a way, Gansey and Blue are doing him a disservice because they still treat him like the old version of himself, and he has grown a lot. Like, even Blue says that when this started, he was a much more brittle version of who he is now, right? But they haven't adjusted their behavior for this new version of adam but then also they frankly haven't had time to do that no like this is this series everything happens so much i think the whole thing is start to finish like six months and then she says you know i didn't want to risk our friendship which i think is a really interesting thing like romance as a risk to friendship because you see this with ronan as well like he's very careful about this Mm -hmm. thing with adam this developing thing because they don't want to risk the friendship and even adam you know he knows he can't toy with ronan because there's no coming back from that right yeah so yeah and i think even in your your story you know you there's always this risk of like a romance like if your friend likes the same person as you there's the expectation that one of you is going to back down like romance is a real firecracker that you can throw into a friendship yeah absolutely that was like the first time that i ever thought no i'm going for it and then the second time that happened i was like no it's okay you go ahead and i wish i hadn't the second Mm. time like i was like oh i was way too magnanimous for no good reason yeah oh i live in regret of a situation that happened well not even regret it's just annoying to me so there was this guy at school i did not like him i did not like any of the guys at my school i Mm. can say that with complete satisfaction but he did that thing where they sort of catch you off guard and so i was always fearful of ever hurting everyone's anyone's feelings like i'm a very different person now than who i was back then i guess because he asked me out and i just said yes like just to get rid of him basically you know when they just spring it on you and you're like uh sure sure fine yeah but then immediately discovered as I was walking home that my friend who used to walk home with me was actually madly in love with him. And I didn't know that. So then it was this oh, whole no. thing about like, oh, he asked you out and you said yes. And I'm like, I don't even want to go. I will tell him I don't want to go. So I told him I don't want to go. And then it was like, yo, you only said that because she wants to go out with me. And I'm like, no, I genuinely don't want to go. You just caught me out. And then it was this thing that just hung over their relationship basically the entire time. And I just didn't want anything to do with it. And it oh, went like, fair enough. they're now married, but our friendship did not survive. Oh, wow. Oh, that's yeah. rough. Yeah, you kind of got put in that position of villain, didn't you? And I'm like, I have no, I just, I'm willing to participate. Like, yeah. I don't want to be part of it. Just trust me when I say I don't want to be part of this, but they don't. So, yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting one. And I think, like, as you said, Adam then comes back with this, like, this is irresponsible thing, which is an interesting... 
it's an interesting tactic. It's like he he wants to be mad about something, so he's decided to be mad about the fact that she's got a curse. Yeah. But he's really just mad about the fact that they still see him as the way that he was, which is the way that he hates to think about himself. Like, this person yeah. is not in control. Yep. Like, that is the real issue. But he's like, you're irresponsible. But he's being... He's that kind of mad where someone is just being unnecessarily reasonable and it just drives you mental, you know? Yes. Yeah. But usually when people are doing that, it's, like, because they're actually... They have no skin in the game. And he actually has a lot of skin in the game. He's just not letting himself feel it. Hmm. Like, he's being very reasonable, and he's like, I can't believe you wouldn't just tell me. And he says something else like, I'm with you guys every day. Did you think I wouldn't see it? I wouldn't see it, yeah. And then he calls her Ronan, which I think is so funny. Like, on page 160, (laughs) he's like, sure, Ronan. Lying by omission is still lying. Which I love when he's just said that Gansey is friends with Ronan because Ronan always tells the truth. But then they Mm -hmm. all know that Ronan is lying. So it's like, what is going on here? I think Ronan's just very obvious when he lies. I don't know. Yeah, well, we've discussed it previously, I think, when we did the Dream Thieves as well. Like, how much of it is lying when you are lying to yourself and when you Mm. aren't... When you believe what you're saying, is that still lying? Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. truth is subjective. Yeah. I mean, there are some objective truths, but, like, also, a lot of it is subjective. And feeling, like, truth about feelings, that is incredibly subjective. I had Mm. a conversation with my sister recently where we were talking about how the way that our mom remembers things is very different than the way we remember them. Yeah. And like her story might change day to day and it doesn't make it any less true for her, but it's not true for the way we experienced it. So that, that has been a lot of like, Oh, I just can't actually, it's not that I can't trust what she says, but I just can't take it personally because how she feels that day and how she remembers it from that perspective is what is she's going to take into it. And like, now that I know that and could put a name to it, I can just be like, okay, sure. Mom. Yeah, <laughs> that's just how it is. My mum has a family member who does that, and I used to not be able to wrap my head around it when I was a kid because I would just say to her, "But that didn't happen." And my mum's like, "Yeah, she, that's been like that our whole lives. Like it's always mm. been like that. You just cannot trust a single word that comes out of their mouth, and they believe it." And that's what mum yeah. used to say to me. She's like, "You can't argue with them because they genuinely believe what they're saying." Mm. Yeah, it's hard when that's a friend too, right? Because, like, you know that they're not being honest with themselves oh yeah like how do you then navigate that i especially think in the case of ronan like they all know when he's lying but they know when he's lying because they've spent all this time with him and they know that he values honesty so that's a really tricky one right like they know he lied in the last section about where declan was and aurora just let it go and they just let it go but it was still not true Mm. and the truth is he probably was working but the fact that ronan didn't know is what was actually the lie right yeah yeah, just interesting. I mean, I, I like that Adam decides to have this conversation. I don't think it's the right time for him to have it, but I like that he's like, well, I've already had a day, so I might as well rip off the Band-Aid. That's a very, like, hurt people, hurt people type thing, I think. And he's feeling very vulnerable, so he wants to, like, just clear the air. That's how I took it. What I also think? think it's because he's he's so busy, right? Like, he's got all these things mm. that he needs to do, and he's like, I don't want you to feel like I... He, he says to her, you know, I don't want you to feel like you, you miss me or, like, that he's standing her up or whatever, but she doesn't mm. even remember that they've got this agreement for this call, yeah. but he's like, it's another thing on my to-do list that I need to get ticked off, and I might as well just do it now, you know? But she feeds him, which is nice. Yeah, I do think that's a really nice friendship in that moment as well, where he's like, ah, I made this promise to you, so I'm going to do it. And she's like, well... Have some food. Because as we've discussed, Blue is very similar to all of them, right? And yeah. She's got this similarity I mean, she's the mirror, Adam, right? So. Yeah. Yeah. She reflects all of the things about them. And that I thought that was really interesting because Gansey had that thought too later about, um, like, on page 134, he's, he's talking about Blue, but he also says, he understood his friendship with Ronan and Adam. They both represented qualities that he both lacked and admired, and they liked the versions of himself that he also liked. I thought that was so interesting because I do really treasure the friends who make me feel like my best self without me having to work hard to get there, if that makes sense. Yeah, that is such an interesting reflection on friendship, I thought, because it is about he loves his friends for who they are. Like he never really tries. Well, I was going to say he doesn't try to change them, but he does try to change Ronan. (laughs) He just tries to get Ronan to act kinder, I think, or more respectful, maybe. Yeah, but why? Because he wants that and he thinks it's important, but it's not important to Ronan, so why impose your own beliefs on someone else? But that's neither here nor there. But 
I think it is important to Ronan, actually. I just think Ronan is like, I don't know, he's like a dog that's just biting and biting and biting. But he doesn't we're actually never, want to be biting so much. We're never going to agree <laughs> about the fact that Gansey wants Ronan to finish school. It's a waste of every time's time. And I yeah, think Gansey yeah, yeah. is doing that for him. He's not doing that for Ronan. That, yeah. So, oh, I think so, too. But Yeah, that's what I mean. And like I think, so he loves them for who they are, but he also loves the way they look at him. Like they love, mm. he loves the way that they perceive him because he feels so fractured in who he is, right? Like he talks about when he feels his most true self or when he's with Blue or when he's swimming, he feels like he's all these dissonant versions of himself as one person. Like he feels yeah. like he's always putting on a front, but when he's with his friends, he doesn't experience that. Yeah. Which I is that, that give and take. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that that's an effortless thing. Like it's not that Blue has to do anything, she doesn't have to like, work for that she just is mm. the person mm. that Gansey feels the most himself around yeah it's lovely I do think that there are some people in your life that you just click with and you're like oh man this is just working like it's not performative mm. it just feels comfortable like you know that if there's judgment you'll get past it like I think it's quite nice that we got to see them being a bit well like blue being a bit grumpy with Gansey in the beginning because mm. it made himself like it made him assess himself and go, well, who do I want to be and what what do I need to do? And like he's mm. willing to learn. He's always willing to learn. But mm. Mm. even with all of his faults, as Blue said, you know, talking to um, Jimmy and Mora and Kala and, and Orla, you know, she's like, I'm aware of the faults he has. And it's stupid that I'm in love with it. Like she's real salty about it. But you can't know someone and love them without knowing their faults or foibles. So I think it's really great that she's able to, like, want to be best. She still wants to be best friends with him. She just wants to be the bestest of friends with him, which I love. Mm. I think it's something, there's something really special about the fact that they've only known each other relatively a short time as well. Like, Gansey's mm. not been in Henrietta that long. It's not, we're not talking about a childhood friendship that has been embedded. Because yeah. I do think you become more forgiving of your friends the longer they've been in your life. Like... Not always, but I think there are some friendships where there's almost nothing that person can do that's going to sever the friendship. You're always going to be friends with them. You know, it's yeah. kind of like, even though you're very different people than when you were when you became friends, it's in too deep. You're in too deep to not be friends with them. Yeah. So they sort of have that level of friendship, but they've only been friends a couple of years. Yeah. It's nice. And I think it's nice for Adam too. I think maybe because Adam feels like there's a pecking order right Ronan gets first pick of Gansey but Adam gets to go second and so he maybe he's upset that Blue is sort of edging past in his mind you know what I mean usurping yeah yeah like he, he's because there is a p part in that fight they're having where he's like I, I have to accept that I'm behind Ronan but like he's my best friend and they have this dumb argument about who loves Gansey more which cracks me up <laughs> And she's like, well, if he, if he is your best friend, shouldn't you be happy? And he's like, how can I be happy when you won't even tell me about it? Yeah, so it's funny. such a good teen fight. Like, no one can win it. It's not winnable. It's just hard. It's just a hard conversation. But I feel like um, we've all been there. I feel like we've all been in a situation where you... And like you said, we accept now that best friend is a tear. We've got lots yeah. of friends. They all matter to me the same amount. But when you are younger... And you do have that best friend when they suddenly become better friends with someone else. You do feel it. It is. It's a tough. It's a tough lesson. Yeah, it's like, why am I not enough? Yeah. I also like that. This is kind of interesting. That blue. To me, this is interesting. Blue doesn't like to be useful. Like she often, she is helpful and she likes to be helpful. But this positioning where, like, if he was your best friend, you'd be happy he had someone. And she's talking about herself. Like she's talking about her value to Gansey. And t telling Adam, like, you should be happy for him mm. be that he and I are that, that we care about each other. But that's a really interesting contrast to she wished that, y you know, needed useful weren't synonyms. Mm. That was just an interesting thing. Like sometimes when you're friends with someone, knowing that they need you is not a chore. Yeah. Well, knowing how much Gansey matters to all of them. Right. And yeah, it's so it's so deep. They're all in it so deep. I love it. The other area I saw friendship really clearly was with Mora and Kala and Persephone mm. and all this, like them finding their way to Henrietta together. It's like, feels like a real yeah. fated moment, right? And they're so connected with the ley line. 
has this really deep impact on color and um, Maura's mental state. Like they really feel it. It's like, you know, they feel unsettled because the ley line is unsettled and the way that it mirrors Adam's connection to the ley line because Maura can legit feel the eye issue. Yeah, she's she's feeling the sore eye and she's like, it's not my sore eye, it's someone else's sore eye that is just catching up to me. I would freak me out. I would be at the doctor (laughs) (laughs) 24-7. Like, what's wrong with me? Why am I dying? Some sort of magical ailment. I love that they meet each other on the same day and that they travel east together. Like, they find... Like, this is really... We see... Like, where is my 300 Foxway prequel? Honestly. But, like, I love seeing the formation of their triad. Like, I love that they get to be this incredibly powerful group of women who were fated to be together. And I think this is true for the Gangsy as well. They were friends that were fated to be together. Their fates mm. were linked. The text definitely supports that. Yeah, I'd agree. I also love love that instant connection, you know, between mm. Mora and Kella as well. Like, you know, Kella says all these mean things to Mora and Mora's like, I, I liked her immediately. You know, so that immediate friendship, that immediate bond, because as you say, it's a fated thing. Circling back a bit to... Blue telling Adam, I didn't want to tell you because I didn't want our friendship to be messed up. And then Ronan on page 143, he knew that Adam had figured out how he felt, but he didn't know if he could step off this knife slender path without destroying what he had. I love that he is so careful and that he's so worried. And I also love that they both, in that moment when he like pulls Adam up and he's like noticing Adam's hands and like skin and wrist and bone. And then Adam has this moment later in when he's crying as they're driving around, when he remembers it, it's like a flash, like Mm. the shocking heat of it. And like the way the leather loops on Ronan's wrist felt against his skin. And I was like, ah, ah. So I was just freaking out. I loved it. Yeah. I love the growing connection between Adam and Ronan and just the way Mm. that it, it just really builds and builds. And like Ronan's metaphor about his feelings for Ronan being an oil slick and like, yeah, the ocean burned. It's just, it's so intense. And I love, I love that Adam finds these connections to the things that Ronan loves. Like he holds out an arm for Chainsaw and he's like nuzzling her beak and like patting her feathers. It's just, he plays some electronic music in the forest. It's just so beautiful. And of course he's starting to make this connection, not quite, but he's getting there between Ronan and Cabeswater as well, right? And he's, he's just mm-hmm. right on the precipice of understanding what's going on. I mean, Adam sees everything. So yeah. it makes sense that he would also see more of Ronan than everyone else. And we have to talk. If we're going to talk about connection and skin to skin to skin connection, uh, we've got Blue and Gansey and Toga At the time. party. <laughs> ah! Okay, thanks. I'm glad you brought it up. I'm glad you... I was bursting about talking about it. Okay, I love Toga party. I love that Blue immediately becomes friends with Henry Chang because she finds the commonality. Like, she asks him mm. a question and he, she's a bit combative. But then he just answers her and she's like, oh, hey, yeah, word, yeah. I get it. And that's it. Yeah. I kind of love the Vancouver crowd because like, the Vancouver boys don't have the privilege to be who they are at school. They have to be these perfect yeah. students, these perfect versions. And then, mm-hmm. you know, Gansey walks into this house and he's like, oh, they're these people I never get to see. And I love that they're mm-hmm. described as being, you know, how they like hungry eyes, hungry smile, hungry futures and how... They all had a, it's my tangential, hang on, let me find it, where it said, you know, the Litchfield boys already had lives. They had pasts and they hurtled beyond them. Like, I love this idea that these kids are just, they're almost too big for the school already. They're there, they're existing, they're doing really well, but it's so much more than that. And I love that both Adam and Ronan have no time for them. They're like, like, I've seen these kids, they've got nothing to offer me. Because in a way, Ronan and Adam love being weirdos. Like, they love being othered and being strange and being this, you know, separate. Whereas I think... They are singular. Yeah, whereas, like, Blue connects to Henry through this kind of sense of alienation that they share, you know, like, Mm -hmm. I say it because then nobody else can say it, but before me, you know, it's the only way I can't be angry all the time. And Blue recognizes that in herself, right? Like, she's a Mm -hmm. weirdo at school. But they love the community of it, whereas I think... Adam and Ronan are solitary creatures, so they sort of shun that kind of thing yeah. that's coming from that. And I, They're above it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> I love it, too. I love that they turned up to the Stoga party and, like, Blue was in such a bad mood. But Gansey was like, here, you can drive my car. And then he's just like, oh, my gosh, she's driving my car. <laughs> oh, my gosh, she's she's parallel parking it. This is the sexiest thing I've ever seen in my life. Like, he's such a tragic. I love it. <laughs> Gives me Scott Pilgrim looking at Ramona Flowers vibes. 
Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. A similar heart eyes. Absolutely. I, yeah, this scene is great. Just, just the way that she walks in and she's like sulky and mad and they're not going to stay. They're just going to duck their head in and go. And they kind of get sucked into staying for longer and it ends up being a really great party and they get to like cuddle and touch each other, which is like super forbidden Mm. because, you know, they're not telling anybody that they're like falling in love, but here it doesn't matter. And so they actually get to be like a freer version of themselves, which is nice. It's a nice break for them. And also like, you know, Henry talks to Blue about coming to Venezuela or wherever it is and he's like oh yeah sure Gansey you can come you can fly your plane and she's like no no don't let his hair fool you he'd hike and Gansey is so pleased that she sees the true self like he, he says yeah. that he feels known like even yeah. in this moment he feels so observed by her it's so lovely it is and then lovely legit skin to skin contact <laughs> I know I know I I just want to kind of dip out of the sacredness for a second and talk about the technique of like writing a really sexy story without it being actually sexual sexy like there's not explicitness in it there's like a lot of tenderness and there's a lot of like sizzle I would say but I just mostly feel like the yearning and the like bits that you get to have are incredible I feel like Steve Otter is an incredible writer for the sort of like wanting and yearning and connection and it just really does feel like those really heady moments of falling in love with someone I think as it's emotional like we've spent so much time Mm. building an emotional connection and really understanding the inner world of someone right so it isn't it isn't that kind of reliant on that physical chemistry and also the stakes are high like if they are irresponsible like adam thinks that they might be like gansey will die and they're all trying to prevent that well except Mm. gansey who's just calmly going to walk into his fate (sighs) because he's a king and that's what kings do i can't deal with it anyway (laughs) Yeah, this this toga party is a beautiful gift, and it's it's just really lovely that they get to have that time. Mm. They don't get enough toga parties in this series. They don't get enough afternoons at Gelato. They're too busy chasing kings, shuffling from crisis to crisis. Yeah, um, I love that Mora and Mister Gray go on dates where she's trying to figure out her hunch, and mm. he's just driving around thinking about poetry, and she plucks the threads out of his mind and he appreciates that about her I think that's yeah. a similar thing like Gansey's warmth all over it being known that he would hike somewhere and Mora really liking that Mr. Gray appreciates her craft her skill yeah it is lovely it's nice I love that she says the problem with pursuing bad feelings is that it was always difficult to tell if one was running towards it um, to fix it or to create it and I'm like, yeah, this is, again, the yeah. problem with prophecy. Also, what about Mr. Grey saying that Adam is the leader of the Band of Merry Men? This is something I wanted to talk to you about. I have a theory about this. I think it's mm-hmm. because he thinks Adam is a different version of himself. And he's the version of Adam that had to cut his own heart out to survive. And Adam has not had to make that choice yet. Mm. That's what I think. Interesting. So he sees himself in Adam. Yeah. Because hmm. he is equally intelligent and dispassionate, right? Logical. Yeah. Committed. But when he does feel, it hurts. And that's where yeah. Adam is. Like, loving is hard for Adam because it hurts. And I think the way that they talk, the way that the text talks about Mr. Gray, like, growing his heart back. Yeah. It's sore and itchy and scabby and awful. And he's trying, but for a long time, he just didn't have anything there. And I think that's why he focuses on Adam. Because Adam really is like the brain behind it all. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, but I caught that too. And I love that Mora sort of gently disagreed. But I like that they both have these perspectives. Mm. Oh, I would trust Rodin with my life. I would trust him while I was scrying. I love oh, that yeah. this is what Adam wants to do. That he's like, I, can, I need someone to bring me back. And he trusts Rodin to do it. It's really nice. That's everything I had for connection and friendship. Do you have anything else? Oh, I think that's it for me. I did have a little connection to Gansey and his timelessness again. Mm. He talks again about how much he loves Aglenby for its timelessness. Oh, yeah. And, like, in my brain, changes. it's just Dead Poet Society kind of vibes. Mm. Um, but this, to me, is yet another indication that, like, whatever change we're about to see, Gansey's getting closer to it. So I'm just flagging that. Because that's a big yeah. part of the like resolution of the series. Good catch, yeah. 
Mm. When people mean timeless, do they mean just like old for America? <laughs> Out of time. Yeah. Could be any time. I feel like if you went into, there are a lot of like churches around here that are old-ish, sort of like 1900, you know? And mm. a lot of the rooms were sort of done up in the 40s. And I feel like they smell exactly the same way that Aglenby smells when it's described. <laughs> yeah. Dust and yeah. paper. Carpet. Bit musty. Old old stone smell. Something like that. Yeah. Uh, so that was all I had. Uh, did you have any tangential? I've mentioned most of mine. But the other thing I just wanted to flag is that when the grey man is doing his old English poetry... Mm. And he says, you know, it was easier to tell a hero from villain when the stakes were only life and death. Everything in between gets harder. Page 123. I was like, this is peak Simon Snow content. Yeah, yeah dude, we, we just covered that. Like, Simon yeah. had the exact same realization. Mm. With the with Pippa and, and Baz, yeah. Yeah. It's as soon as you have to do the actual living, that's when suddenly things get complicated and hard. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. Mm. Good catch. Do you have any tangential? Oh, that was it for me. I think we covered everything. Great. I also loved the Litchfield house boys and their slouchiness. I thought it was cute that they were starry-eyed and eco-warriors and they want to like, like they're getting high and talking about ways to improve the world. I love that. So optimistic. So young. I also just love that they're these international kids, right? They're kids who are, Mm. you know, they talk about... Um, motorcycle helmets rolling up against boarding use boarding passes like these are kids who travel a lot they're crisscrossing across the world their parents are probably like you know living in singapore and hong kong like they're all over the place mm. yeah yeah it's a very different lifestyle to what these anglo boys would have experienced like these kind of politicians yeah. sons right like they they're a different breed and i kind of love that yeah they're outside of it they're still part of it but they're not part of it the same way that somebody like Welk or Noah or yeah, they're still part of it yeah. because they're rich. But we're talking internationally rich. Like there's a they've got more context. They think yeah. broader. I think is the thing. Like once you have that international sort of yeah, I don't know. It feels bigger. I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah, we're just different kinds of education. So like I think about my my mate Frank. Right, his dad's mm. diplomat. So had a very yeah. different education. Yeah, and a very different boarding school. I don't. Other than rowing, we haven't heard about any of the sport from Aglenby, <laughs> which is probably a blessing, right? Yeah, no more lacrosse. I'm tired of lacrosse. <laughs> Still watching Teen Wolf, huh? No, we finished Teen Wolf. <laughs> but it's a weird sport, man. <laughs> Every sport is weird if you think about it. It's true. It's very. Why true. do we chase this ball, and why do we have rules about how we touch it and throw it if we're allowed <laughs> to throw it at all? Very weird. Can't think about it. <laughs> if I think about it too long, I'll just be like, nothing means anything. Nihilism. Yeah. Oh, truth. <laughs> oh, do you have it in depth? I sure do. It's quite long, so forgive me, but it's about Adam and Ronan, my beloved mm-hmm. boys, who I literally just set my heart on fire in this section. So the we first love a, bit. A flame heart. I do. The first bit is from page 142, which is when Ronan is, you know, he's gone to find Adam and he's, Adam is staring into the headlights of his car because that's a perfectly mm. normal thing to do. And he helps him up from the ground, right? So he offers him his hand yeah. and it says, um, Ronan hauled him up, his mind all palm against palm, thumb cross over thumb, fingers pressed into wristbone, and then Adam was facing him and he released his hand. And then further down in that section... Adam's telling him about losing control of his eyes and his his hand. And it says, he allowed Ronan to lean in to compare his eyes, close enough that Ronan felt his breath on his cheek, and he allowed Ronan to study the palm of his hand. The latter was not strictly necessary, and they both knew it. But Adam watched Ronan closely as he lightly traced the lines there. This was like the wake, walking the line between dream and sleep, the night-sharp balance of being asleep enough to dream and awake enough to remember what he wanted. And then again, on page 148... Um, it's when Adam is remembering it mm. in the car and when he's like half between awake he's half awake half dreaming he's scrying like he's conscious but not conscious and he says stripped of context the physical sensations exploded the surprising shock of heat from that skin to skin grip the soft hiss of the bracelets against Adam's wrist and the sudden bite of possibility so context here is like as discussed friendship is this like real 
thin line that you walk when you suddenly become attracted to a friend and you don't really know what to do with it like you are friends and you don't really want to ruin it and sometimes with attraction like I have had moments where I'm like super into a friend of mine but it's only for a weekend and then I'm fine again you know like so Mm -hmm. you it's a really fine line to know how serious it is or whether it's something you want to action and both like Ronan has been feeling this way for a very long time but he still knows how fragile that Adam is and Adam knows how fragile Ronan is and that it's not something that he can just do as an experiment it's not something that he can just see what happens like he needs to know and he says that he doesn't have enough information to know how to feel yet so he's still feeling it out and the connection right because this is a connection that's growing it's a connection that grows through emotional intimacy they know each other but also this growing physical intimacy like touching like allowing touch looking for touch but what it reminded me of was Romeo and Juliet and particularly when the scene when Mm. Romeo and Juliet first meet at the ball because Romeo you know goes up and starts flirting with Juliet and he says my lips two blushing pilgrims ready stand to smooth that rough touch with a tender kiss and she says to him good pilgrim you do wrong your hand too much Um, for saints have hands that pilgrims do touch and um, palm to palm is holy palm is kiss because there's this whole idea you know that people brought back palm leaves from the holy land and with this they were known as palmers because of that so Juliet sort of plays on that word that the palms touching is evoking that holy palm from the holy land it becomes this whole Mm. thing so it becomes a kiss but with hands and I think this real focus on like Ronan's palm like Adam's palm and Ronan touching it this real slow intimacy with that yeah and also the dreaming reminds me of Romeo and Juliet as well because this whole thing about you know asleep perchance to dream this waking this not being awake this kind of love that you don't know what to do with that you don't know whether you should pursue just really sort of magical feeling and I'm thinking particularly of like the Baz Luhrmann film version of it where the ball is so otherworldly it is sort of like a waking dream it is magic and yeah just wild so yeah that's what it made me think of um and I think just going forward Remember that there are different forms of love. People love differently and you want to, people want to be loved differently as well. So I think it's important to let people love you in the way that they want to love you. Like recognize what they're doing when they're making an overture to you or they're reaching for you. And this isn't just romantic. This is platonic as well. But when people reach out to you, let them love you the way that they want to love you. Obviously not with a cost or anything. It's okay to ask Mm. to be loved in the way that you need to be loved as well. But I'm thinking, for example... My friend Sophie came to my tattoo appointment yesterday. I did not ask her to do it, but this is just the way that she shows love. And she was like, I will come and I will come sit with you. And I was like, sure, I would never have asked, but it was really nice that she was there. And that is the way that she shows her affection. So I was like, cool. Like that is a nice thing for someone to do. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's important for us to see when people are loving us and appreciating us because it's just important. So yeah, it is. It's really nice. Oh, thanks, Jen. I love that. What did you have for an in-depth? Um, so I chose the a little bit where Jimmy and Kala are confronted with the reality of the decayed soul of Noah Cherney. So this is after Mora and the Grey Man have gone to Piper Greenmantle's house and like watched him reenact his own death, and they have brought him back to 300 Fox Way. So on page 129... Oh, baby, Jimmy said, full of instant compassion. You poor thing. Let me get you some Jimmy, ever the herbalist. (laughs) Generally had an herbal suggestion for every possible mortal ill. Some what? Calla prompted. Jimmy pursed her lips and rocked a bit on her feet. She was clearly stumped, but could not lose face in front of the others. Also, she did have a tediously good heart, and there was no doubt that Noah's existence distressed her. Mimosa, Jimmy finished triumphant, and Calla sighed with grudging appreciation. So I really love this because Calla is a tough customer. She's a very prickly person, but this is her chapter. So we're getting this close third perspective about the way she feels about Jimmy. And I just really like seeing that Calla has this affection and appreciation for like the skill and craft of her fellow, Mm. I guess, residents of 300 Fox Way, psychics, whatever. She like really appreciates Jimmy's intelligence and resourcefulness, but she also like really notes that compassion that empathy but she still is herself like she's still like "Uh uh-huh so tell me what you would recommend like she still kind of calls people out a bit and that's just how she is um I just love that this friendship is something that like there is that little edge in it between all of the women 
But it doesn't mean that they love each other any less. It's not competitive. It's just sort of a bit of a challenge, right? Mm. And that reminded me of the way that Maura phrased it as continuing education. It's not just that they're going to, like, settle and find a home. It's that they're going to, like, get better at what they're doing. And so part of that friendship, part of all of the women there, is that they're always pushing each other to be better. And I think that that's something really really integral to the way that they are with each other and who they are intrinsically. I mean, there was a comparison earlier in the book about how, you know, like, oh, you would think that a room full of psychics would be more like each other, but it's like a doctor's convention or something. But I think that actually there is more to this household than just them all being psychic. I think they all have similar and shared goals. And that's that's something about friendship that I think is really important and really underrated. But, you know, just to lighten it back up, the thing it reminded me of is when you have like certain bits or in-jokes that you do with friends and they're just kind of inscrutable to outsiders. Mm. Um, So my best friend Sarah sneezes in a really like petite and tiny way, but she sneezes like five or six times in a row. And when I was 15 or 16, I'm like, I'm not going to say bless you unless you sneeze five old times. So like I would count them off and I would do this every time. I must have been the most annoying person, but she never held a grudge about it. But she really does sneeze in like such a cute way. And that just became a thing that I always did. Even if I never, even if I would say bless you, I wouldn't wait. Like now I wouldn't wait and count to five. I would just like mentally go one, two, three, four, five, six. And then when she was done, I would say, oh, bless you. You know, mm-hmm. I have a bit with my kids. We're not like my kids aren't my friends. They're my kids. But I have a bit with them where I pretend I don't know what YouTube is. So even if I'm watching YouTube and they'll be like, Mom, you're watching YouTube. I'll be like, what are you talking about? I'm watching a video about cats. This isn't YouTube. Like, I, it's a bit. And they act like they hate it. But I think it's hilarious. Um, and then my husband and I have a lot of bits. But my favorite one is when he pretends to be shocked and he goes, Jennifer. And I go, Simon of Fur. Back at him. Mm-hmm. I just think it's funny. I, I think that things like that in jokes and bits and like little things that you keep going are those those are ways that you strengthen friendships that's how you deepen those connections and they can Mm. be really important Mm -hmm. um so yeah going forward i just think like i love to love people warts and all for being authentic for being weird people are so lovable so i think we should just look and find that lovability and do our best to love them yeah i love that because it dovetails with mine as well like let people love you (laughs) in the way they can love you you know yeah and oh my gosh, embrace the in-jokes. They make life so much better. So many in-jokes. You know, there's nothing I love more than committing to a bit. That's what my friend Meredith and I really have in common. We commit to bits when other people have long since ceased to find them funny. But nevertheless, we persist. That's the way it should be. Mm. I have an ongoing bit where I have a nemesis and it makes my husband very nervous. He does <laughs> not like it. It's important to have a nemesis. Um, who did you want to spotlight this week? So I think I want to spotlight Blue because she's already going through so many changes and so many things that Mm. she's feeling all of the time. And then she's trying to do what she thinks is the right thing by Adam. But also, you know, she would love for her and Gansey to be out and about because it'll just be so much easier, right? But they've made this decision. She doesn't want to hurt Adam. And then she has this confrontation with Adam and it's just, it's hard. And she has to go to this party where she doesn't know anyone and that's hard too. And she already hates these rich boys. And now here she is. And then she has an unexpected great time. So... You know, Blue, I see you. I've been there. I've totally felt that. Yeah, lean into it. It's great to go, even though you're convinced it's going to be awful and you have a surprisingly good time. That's kind of the best outcome. I love it when that happens. Best. Absolutely agree. Yeah. It's <laughs> my one argument for forcing yourself to go to things, because like sometimes you do have to like, oh, fine, I'll go. But then yeah. if you go and it's great, you're like, man, I'm really glad I, I went. I think this is why I like to never want to do anything, because then I'm always pleasantly mm. surprised. <laughs> so score one for nihilism the fun kind exactly <laughs> how about you who do you want to spotlight this week i want to spotlight adam mm. because being left out of something that your best friends are doing sucks um even when they're keeping you in the dark to protect you it doesn't feel like that's what they're doing it just sucks that they're not telling you what they're doing why they're doing it it makes you feel like you did not you're not worthy of being told yeah. or worthy of being included and like especially with adam He's he's so insecure. It's just harder. So I'm really I really feel for him this time around. Yeah, poor Adam. Yeah, poor guy. Do you have any homework for our our listeners? I don't really. The only thing is, my housemate and I have started rewatching Ted Lasso because she hasn't Woo-hoo. seen season three yet. So I'm like, let's just start it from the top because then I get to rewatch it all. So it's just really wholesome. We're about halfway through season two, so Nate is becoming evil, which is hard to watch. But yeah. 
such I a haven't great seen show. season three yet. I haven't had time. Yeah, it's just like genuinely such a warm hug of a show. Season three less so, but certainly the first two seasons. So yeah, if you haven't seen it, highly recommend. How about you? What what is your homework? I have been reading a fan fiction that I want to talk about. It's called Gallup Park. It's an adaptation of Mansfield Park. It's a modern uh, Singapore, Malaysia, England AU. And it's really cleverly done. So I'm learning so much about like the school system and the songs and like the way you would go through and like what you can study. And I think that they do, like, the author is handling the class differences really well and really beautifully. And also, like, staying so true to the spirit of the story. Mm. Uh, I put a link in the show notes for everybody. It's 54 out of 57 chapters are done. So, like, it's nearly finished. It's just great. Like, it's, and look, I just read Mansfield Park recently. So I can, I'm very fresh on it. So, like, I can compare it really accurately. I think in my mind I'm comparing it pretty accurately. And she's she they they're doing a great job like i feel like this is a really faithful adaptation so cool highly recommend yeah Mm, nice i know so good well next week we're going to be reading chapters 21 through 26 through the theme of discovery lots to discover doing sparkle fingers (laughs) yeah (laughs) amazing i cannot wait thank you so much for potting it's great to catch up Thank you. Always lovely to see your face. Um, Can't wait to talk more about these characters. I just love them so much. Me too. It's going to be so good. All right. I'll catch you next week. Great. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us today. Marginalia Pod is written, edited, and produced by us, Gen D and Gen V. We'd love to hear from you. Send an email to hello at marginaliapod.com. Check out our Instagram or maybe dash up a quick review. You can also subscribe so you never miss an episode. Our music is by Scott Buckley, and the logo artwork is by Laura Cato. You can find detailed show notes for each episode and much more at our website, www.marginaliapod.com. Special thanks to all the people in our various communities whose love and care sustains us. Without your support, we would be very sad little critters. We appreciate you. And to you, our wonderful listeners, thanks again for being here. We love spending this time with you. 